Well, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> you know, uh, Mother's Day is, is a little bit tough in church because the reality is that every lady doesn't always like or appreciate Mother's Day. Some people have tough memories attached to it, and it's a difficult thing. Uh, I know that there were years past, churches recognized mothers. You know, we would have, when I grew up, church I grew up in, had corsages for certain mothers, you know, so it was usually the the one who's the oldest and the youngest mother, and, you know, then you, the problem with doing that is that gets old, it gets to be, you know, the same person on the oldest side, unless somebody dies, and um, so we had to get creative with that. And uh, over a period of time, what happened was uh, they got ran out of all the options, like who's lived the furthest away to come today and the closest. And so I think the last time I ever heard about that was from a preacher who um, decided to recognize on Mother's Day the prettiest and the ugliest mother. <laughs> I haven't done that. That was his last sermon that day at that church. <laughs> Mark chapter 10 is where we are in our Bibles so go with me there if you would. I uh, celebrated a birthday this week. For those of you who social media-ized me this week, I appreciate it very much. Uh, I'm in that section of birthdays where it really seems like just another day, uh, except for the well wishes and all that. I appreciate that very much. But over the course of the week, it had me thinking between that and baby dedication day and Mother's Day, I... I was thinking through something of the significance of what we learn while we're young. And I recognize that as we get older, we tend to forget more. And I, I know that some of that is, is forgetting because our synaptic gaps get bigger and bigger. And it's harder for that electrical signal to jump over. But uh, I think another part of that is that the older we get, the more we forget about some of the simple truths that we learned younger. For instance, we just came through an election season in our uh, country. I am still struck by just how uh, acidic the atmosphere is in America these days. It's just, I don't know, it, it other than the Civil War, if we've ever been more divided as a country than we are today. And that division is not just on racial lines, it's on economic lines, and it's on just philosophical lines about how life ought to be lived and those kind of things. We, we, we are really, as a country, unfriendly with each other. And so that takes me back to some of the things, all of that takes me back to some of the, the real truths that we learned in children's Sunday school, or maybe it was in vacation Bible school, or maybe in some of those sunbeam classes, or some of the ones that some of you might have gone to years ago. Things like the lyrics to this little song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of my political party. That's not right, is it? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, okay, what's the next word? Red, okay, some say the next word is yellow, some say the next word is and, 
And if my research is correct, those are both wrong answers. I don't, the best I can tell, and I read several different places, but um, there, there seems to be an argument that the way the original lyrics were, was not red and yellow or red, yellow, black, and white, but red, brown, yellow, black, and white. <laughs> so if that's a true statement, well, let's finish the song. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Well, you want me to sing it for you? No, you don't. I'm not going to anyway. Red and yellow, or red, brown, and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Is that a true statement? Not as it relates to God, but as it relates to us. Are all precious in our sight? I, I think that we lose some of the depth of these simple little songs that we learned. So I want to pull off of that a little bit because I think those deep truths of our early lives are often dismissed as we get older. We get more complex and complicated in the way we see people. But when we stop to think about this, there's some deep truth embedded in this that I want us to get to. And it comes from today's passage. Uh, it moves me to say that that little song might well come from this passage. I've heard some people use it as such. Uh, I've seen people use this passage in wrong ways. I was part of a church that was undergoing what ended up being a split, largely. They had a, I was on staff at that church, and we had an elementary school that was Christian, at least in title. And uh, it was a problem, and so there were a number of lawsuits attached to it. And finally, some leadership in the church just said, we need to call it a day with the Christian school, and we need to shut it down, and we get back to the business of being a church. And, um, and so in the process of that, this business meeting occurred, and I was so glad that I wasn't the pastor in charge of that business meeting because it was war. And somewhere in the midst of that, one well-intentioned individual quoted a verse out of what we're looking at today and said, that's proof that God wants us to have a school. Well, whatever else you want to call about it, that was terrible biblical interpretation on his part, as we will see. So in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, we read these words. And they were bringing children to him that he might, that's to Jesus, by the way. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And so what I want to do today, and, and I'm going to try to keep it pretty short today because we got to get out there and get to the restaurants so mom can eat, right? Um, um, so let me just... as in fairly quick fashion today, I want to highlight three different groups that are in this passage. And I'm going to argue that we may well find ourselves in all three groups if we're not careful. And we certainly want to find ourselves in one of them. So here's the first group that I find here. These are the bringers, I call them. Uh, the bringers. This is actually, there's not much to support this as far as it goes, although clearly it's in here. Uh, Mark only gives them one verse. No, that's not even true. Mark gives them one word of one verse. It's in verse 13, the first part of it. And they 
we're bringing children to him. We don't know who the they are here. We have some scholars who say, well, this is clearly the parents of those children are bringing them to Jesus. Well, that's not a good statement because that's not clearly stated. It's just they. Other scholars will say, well, it's almost certainly older children to which we could say that's possible too. We don't know who they are and it's not important that we know who they are. What's important is that we recognize what they're doing. These are the people who are bringing these children to Jesus. I think that's important for us. Let's make sure that we get the scenario down here, all right? And I'm not going to take the time to go build everything behind this so that we can see it, but let's just kind of push it this way. This is moving now towards the end of Jesus' ministry. The way Mark's gospel is constructed, everything after chapter 9 is a quick movement to the cross, Mark builds the life of Jesus in the first eight, nine chapters to the point that it culminates in the transfiguration. You can go back and read that. After that, Jesus comes off of the Mount of Transfiguration and his sights are set on the cross and the resurrection that will come. And so Mark puts a lot of stuff into this last number of chapters after chapter nine. And so with this, we've seen Jesus doing a lot of stuff in Mark's gospel miracles. He's always on the move. He's always active. He's impacting people's lives all the way up to this particular point. What I get from that is the scenario here is that it's high business. Matter of fact, you go back to chapter nine, the first part of chapter 10, Jesus is dealing with big topics. Chapter 10 verses one through 12, what Jesus is dealing with there is this centuries old debate about divorce in the Jewish faith. And so it's almost as if he's holding court, an impromptu court session out there to say, okay, here's the way you see this. He brings fresh theology into the mix of that question, and it's this high, heady, intense kind of a moment. And it's at that moment that verse 13 just jumps off the page. And while he's having these big, deep discussions, somebody brings children into the mix. You know, my job as pastor a lot of parts of it that I just really love. So let me let the cat out of bag for you. I love watching you parents cringe when your kids jump into the scene. Happens a lot with me. I try to be careful with children so that I talk to them so that they don't think the pastor's some you know far off guy. I certainly don't want them to think that I'm like their children's minister is. And so, oh, he's not in here anymore, is he? Okay, good. Um, so... I just think it's important that children know that pastors are real people, not some guy that stands up there and preaches all the time. So on a regular basis, I'll try to talk to kids. Uh, Parents get a little weirded out when kids start talking back to the preacher. I used to do a children's sermon when I was in college and I was support staff member of a church. And so they assigned to me the responsibility of doing a children's sermon during the worship service. And so I'd sit down on the steps and call all the kids in the church up and they'd sit around there. And uh, I taught that little, I handled that little thing the way I try to teach on Wednesday nights and that kind of thing, which is discussion oriented. So I would ask questions of these children. You know the good thing about kids? Oh, they always have an answer. I finally had one of the deacons who had three children in that little group pull me aside one day and he said, you're going to have to stop that. I said, Why? What did I say? He said, oh, you didn't say anything. He said, I'm afraid of what my kids are going to say up there in front of the whole church about what happens at my house. 
You watch sometime after church in here, after the worship service is over, and the, you know, the business of what we do here, spiritual business that is, and when church is over, kids flip a switch. And it's not a worship center anymore. It's a gym. Okay, I want you to take that picture and superimpose it on these passages. Jesus is doing big stuff. And somebody has the audacity to bring children. And we'll see before it's over with that the disciples were going to have none of that. And we'll see where that takes us. But let's focus in on the people who brought these kids, the bringers. Who brought you to Jesus? Let me me just invite you to go backwards in your thinking a little bit. Who is it that had the conversation with you? Or maybe their life was the ongoing conversation that pointed you to Jesus. I have conversations on a regular basis. had one not too long ago where, where people just... You know, this is what God has done. So I, let me just remind you, okay, because we're all in this group. If you call on Jesus as your Savior, you are part of the bringers group. I have said now for almost six years total, this one statement, it captures a huge part of who I am as a pastor. God has strategically placed you in a circle of people who desperately need life. That comes from passages of scripture like we find in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says of his disciples, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And he gives these marching orders to his disciples to go out and to make disciples. Paul will say later when we get into Corinthians and in other places, particularly in 2 Corinthians, he says, you are ambassadors for Christ. We're the bringers. And so in this little verse, this little several verse kind of section and this one little word, Mark gives us one little word that gives us marching orders once again. The passage is not about those people, but you don't get to this passage without those people. They, we, the bringers of children and people to Jesus. That's us. So let me just go ahead and capitalize on Mother's Day. To say this, if you are here and you are a mother, one of your primary callings, to use a term from last week, one of your main vocational kind of objectives in your life is to bring your children to Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. We can embrace the calling to be bringers And totally foul the waters. We go to the disciples here. Because the the disciples were not bringers anymore. In this passage, the disciples were obstructionists. Yesterday. Okay. This is, every once in a while, I pull back the covers just a little bit. You can see just what kind of pastor you really have. So yesterday, Teresa and I had to go to the mall. Oh. If we had organ music, it would be that boom, boom, boom. You know, they were having a function at the mall yesterday, in the parking lot at least. And half of Houston was there. Millions and millions and millions of people, seemed like. 
But not only were they in the parking lot for this function for Boys Haven, uh, most of them were on Dallin Road trying to get to that or away from that. All right? Poor planning on Road Trammels Park yesterday. So I kid you, this is not an exaggeration. We were in a string of cars trying to go from basically East Texas Freeway over to uh, Sonic. Um, And I'm sure that there had to be 200 cars in front of us and behind us and just stopped at lights and stopped for traffic coming on and off. And we got to that section right next to Logan's. You know what I'm talking about? And we were on Dallin. And some, somebody Jesus loves, but nobody else did yesterday, (laughs) is trying to pull out of the parking lot of the mall right there by Barnes and Nobles, okay? He's trying to pull out across traffic. Oh, by the way, he had one of those pickup trucks that you could have put a smaller pickup truck in it. And he was pulling a trailer that was 15, 20 feet long. Oh, I hope, I don't, man. okay, so I still have an issue with this, all right? So I'm going to be careful. I won't say something that I don't want to have to say. Um, I sat there thinking, who is this guy? And it's fine when he was sitting over the side. And I was about to get my chance because, you know, that's a long light anyway. And got up and the car, the pickup truck right in front of me let that guy come all the way across. Well, there's all all these lanes of traffic. He couldn't get across, and so he ended up being parked crossways in front of us. This is an obstructionist for progress. You get the picture, right? I needed to get the Sonic. (laughs) I, I, I didn't have preachery thoughts. Enter the disciples into this little story. Here are children coming to Jesus. And the disciples, we go back to verse 13, and they were bringing children to Jesus, that they might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Hmm. These guys just can't help themselves, these disciples. We need to be careful that we're not too hard on them. I think we need to let them own what's theirs to own here. But the reality is we're all a little bit like they are. Let me take you back a little bit. Because remember, I said there's a lot of stuff going on here. These are, these are important moments in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so here's these disciples. Chapter 9, verse 38. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not from our church. Well, well, that's not exactly what they said. He was not a Baptist. Well, no, that's not what they say either. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. You know what? This is obstructionism again, but this is worse. Because this is now these guys tattling on that guy. In other words, we're going to earn stripes with Jesus by letting him know just how narrow-minded we can be. (laughs) Man, these disciples. Well, let me just, let's ramp it up a little bit because there's actually something that happens even before this. 
So the previous little section there, chapter 9, verse 33, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they all looked to the floor, ashamed of themselves. It says they kept silent, but that's the picture. But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. These guys are so advanced in their obstructionism that now they're not even trying to keep people on the outside out. Now they're trying to push people on the inside to the margins. Churches are full of these people. If we're not careful, we are they. Not the they of verse 13a, but the they of verse 13b, where we become the ones, if we're not careful, that push people away. I said before, all of us are here because somebody brought us to Jesus. I wonder how many people are not in church today because somebody pushed them away from Jesus. This is tough stuff. It helps me as I read through this and find myself among these disciples. It helps me to see that Jesus will have none of it. Notice again, verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Only time in the New Testament that word is used. It basically means he was, well, I looked it up in Greek. You know what it means? It means he was indignant. Absolutely flabbergasted with the accompanying emotion of how could you even think that that's okay. That's important, I think, that we see that Jesus will not allow us to have that train of thought or that way of life that keeps people away from him. Back to, back to the, the flow here. Jesus is moving to the cross. We're on the other side of the transfiguration now. And in Mark's gospel, man, the pace just picks up until finally Jesus is killed on a cross and then resurrects. And so now we see Jesus beginning to bear down with these disciples to teach them lessons. And so three out of four of these uh, connected stories here with the divorce thing on the, on the back end of it all, three out of those four are all dealing with the disciples getting stuff wrong as it relates to other people. Why does Jesus care enough to be indignant? And the answer is because people matter to him. Every people matters to him. That's bad English, but you know what I mean with that. Everybody matters. And if they matter to him, they have to matter to us. They have to. We got a lady that worked in the office here for a while. She's not with us in the office anymore, but she used to say this. If I get hit by a truck, you're going to need to know where certain things are. So she would tell us where things were. All right, so let me tell you this. If I get hit by a truck today and I'm not your pastor anymore, don't miss this. We can never settle, uh, settle and be satisfied with keeping people out of the kingdom of God. Every day. All day, we need to be careful about creating an environment where people can come to know Jesus Christ and not be pushed away. Here's the deal about that. You don't have to work at failing at that. All you have to do is just not pay attention. Because people are messy. Like I said last week, there's all kinds of people out there who are going to make it easy for us to say, no, you don't want to be with us. I'm thinking... I'm thinking, I hate to call out a church, but I'm going to call this one out because they, they just disgust me. Westboro Baptist Church, you know that name? 
I get standing for the standards that God and his word has put out there. I think we should do that. But let me tell you, you don't have to be hateful to do that. I was listening to a preacher this week. He's the maddest guy. I thought to myself, somebody needs to take this guy out and take him water skin or something. Let him know that there's fun in life. Be careful. Always be careful that we see people. And we see people. I mean, we see real people. And when pieces of us want to say, you can't be here with Jesus... We have to fight that in ourselves. So let me look at, quickly at the last one here. This one is actually the group that I think is the reason for this story being in Scripture in the first place. And these are the ones I call the seekers. These are the children. So we had the bringers, and we had the obstructionists, and now we have the seekers. These are the children. Jesus is teaching here about the kingdom of God and what it takes to get into it. His disciples haven't quite figured it out. You might say that these disciples have not figured out that they need to be little children also. So let me go back and read this again, verse 14. Uh, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so now it comes right down to it. And Jesus wants those children to come to him. But let me expand it to what he's really saying here. He wants everyone to come to him as children. It's not like elevating children to some special place in the kingdom of God. It's not what he's doing here. He's talking about how you get into the kingdom of God. And most of us think of a kingdom and it's this territory like the British Empire of previous centuries and little pieces of land all over the globe that they owned because of their military superiority, etc. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the kingdom of God, the, the realm, the reign of God. The only way you get into the kingdom of God is by coming like a little child comes at life. Remember what I said about your kids going nuts and coming and talking to me? And you know, kid, I don't have to talk a kid into telling me stuff. He'd just tell me. But children have a way of just kind of pushing all of the social standards to the side. And they're just going to be themselves until we train them out of that. I love talking to some of our teachers here. Those of you who work with kids, I think of kindergarten kids especially, and I love talking to our teachers who are kindergarten teachers about just the raw peopleness of little kids. Jesus says, come to me that way. No, no pretense. You can't flower yourself up enough for me to love you any more than I already love you. Just come to me knowing that I give life. These kids that came to him, they didn't care about the whole discussion on divorce. It was right over their heads. But they sure wanted to get where Jesus was. You know what? I'm just crazy enough to believe that we live in a world that's full of people who are needing to get where Jesus is. This fits, what he says here fits with what we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, the first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Literally translated, we could say, blessed are those who are bankrupt spiritually. That's the way you come to Jesus. To recognize, I don't have anything. The old song says, nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. 
That's how you come to Jesus. Have you come to Jesus ever? Do you know the life that only Jesus can give you? If you're going to come to him at all, you come on his terms. And his terms are, you have nothing to offer except yourself. But that's what I want, is yourself. Jesus is serious about this. He takes his disciples to the woodshed because they're keeping people away. What do you say as a church? We hereby commit ourselves never to intentionally push people away. Let the children come to me. We could easily say that Jesus pushes, come to me as a child, and I will give you life. Let's pray. And as we pray, I want to invite you to come and hold on to what is yours out of this. First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, if you've never reached a point where you came to him and said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I have nothing to offer you except myself. I am a sinner. I'm separated from you. I need you and your life. If you've never prayed that prayer, why don't you? There's life for the taking. This invitation time might well be for you to take that step. If you don't understand what that means, you don't know what to do with that, then I'll be down front here. I'd love to talk to you. We have others. Aaron's here. We've got deacons here. I'd love to talk to you. Others. Uh, it would be a tragedy to walk out of here having been brought to Jesus today and to turn around and walk away without him. How is it for you today? Father, use this time. Be glorified in it. Change lives for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.